This is our second week in our series called Vital Signs. The title comes from in the book of Luke where a man comes to Jesus and he says to him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, well, what, what does the scriptures read? And the man responds to him, well, the way the scriptures read is it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says simply, do this and you will live. These are the vital signs for your life. These, these is, this is what helps you know that you're alive fully. When Jesus came, he said, really simply, I've come that you can have life uh, and life to the fullest. What can be confusing to us about that is that I think sometimes we can like assess one another, assess what we see as like Christianity as a whole, um, maybe even look at ourselves and be like, I don't know if I consider myself or anybody I know like fully alive, like life to the fullest, life to the max. It seems so real that it's just, it draws everyone around it to the reality of it. And yet this is what Jesus says, and so, so what we are looking at in these five weeks is we look at what does it mean to love God with your whole soul, all of it, your whole heart, your whole mind, all of your strength, and what does it mean to love your neighbors yourself? Because like your vital signs, right, if someone is on the ground and not breathing, right, you can be like, oh, they look, they look real nice, <laughs> but they're, they're dead, right? And that can be like that with each other. You can be like, oh, well... You know, they, they look real nice, but gosh, where'd their soul go? Hopefully you don't say that about anybody, if you really mean. Um, how do we be people who are completely alive? So last week what we looked at was, what does it mean to have a heart and then love God with our whole heart? And this week it's, what does it mean to have a soul, be a soul, and how do we love God with all of that? What does it mean to be alive? So, um, thankfully, Oprah Winfrey helps us with that question. Um, in 2011, she started this uh, network called Oprah Winfrey Network, and then she started a program called Super Soul Sundays. So you could have a Super Soul Sunday. And what she did is... Though to some of us it might appear comical, she did something very courageous, which is she would pull different people who were seen as spiritual leaders around the world, and she would bring them to her studio, and she would drill them with really hard questions. Right? So you can like laugh on the outside, but imagine like sitting across from Oprah Winfrey and having her say, what is the soul? <laughs> right? You'd be terrified. And so she brought these people in, and literally she asked them, what, what is the soul? Uh, who is God? How do we live? And so these are some responses that they gave to the question, what is the soul? And these, um, these are people that are seen as authorities on the subject. The part of you that exists before you were born and will exist after you die. The soul is the fingerprint of God that becomes a physical body. The soul is the core of your being eternal, your eternal point of reference. The soul is the part of us that never dies, 
who we are at our core. The soul is the internal essence that watches the heart and mind come and go. The soul is the truth of who we are. The soul is the essence of who and what we are. It is the lure of our becoming. I wish I knew what that meant. The last one I'm going to share is by a guy named Eckhart Tolle, um, who in 2008 by the New York Times was named the most popular spiritual author in the United States. When he tuned in and did a broadcast with Oprah Winfrey, over 35 million people watched. It's a lot of people listening to this guy. He has no particular religion, he says, but he defines, he describes himself as being influenced by a wide range of spiritual works. And, and then this is how he describes the soul. He says, the innermost being, the presence you are beyond form, who you are in essence. Let me repeat that. The innermost being, the presence you are beyond form, who you are in essence. Now, for some of you who you probably think I'm crazy right now because I'm quoting Eckhart Tolle, um, I, I want to show you um, sort of the... Well, I guess I was amazed as I listened to these people describe what the soul was, how just unhelpful it was. Um, and let me describe it to you in these terms. You have to bear with me. I was a philosophy major, okay? But I'm going to compare his description of the soul with the description of, of chocolate and show circular reasoning. If you don't know circular reasoning, you're going to, don't worry, I'll, you'll be helped by this. <laughs> so he says, the innermost being, the presence beyond your form, who you are in essence. Imagine me describing chocolate to you as this. Chocolate is the innermost part of a cookie. It is the melty goodness present beyond shape. It is what the cookie is in essence. Okay, so we get to the end of that and we're like, thank you. (laughs) I haven't told you either about the cookie or about chocolate, but you're super impressed, right? So, So we get to the end of circular reasoning. What you get to by the end of that is you're like, what you said is the soul is our innermost being, our innermost being is our essence. Our essence is our soul. And so all of a sudden you just get around to the beginning and you're like, oh, thank you. What this reminded me of was, have you guys seen the movie Zoolander? Uh, it's, a, it's a movie about male models. And you'll see why I'm quoting Zoolander after quoting Oprah and now Eckhart Tolle. Uh, he makes a, a commercial as a merman. Um, if you know the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And this is what he says as a merman. He says, water is the essence of moisture. <laughs> moisture is the essence of beauty. And it's meant to be stupid, right? It's a joke. You're like, oh, water is the essence of moisture. Because you get to the end of it and you're like, thank you for not telling me anything. But, but that's, this is who we're looking to. These people who we're looking to to tell us what is the... What is the soul? Um, the reason why 35 million people tune into this is what, because we are hungry to know who I am, who you are, what's your purpose, what's your meaning, why do you long for significance? 
And so, so we're listening to someone going, what's your soul? The soul is your essence. And, and we listen to that, and we want, we want to, to reach deeper, but we're, we're like not getting helped. And so my goal today for you is that you can leave here going, I know what the soul is, and I know how to love God with my whole soul. And so that you, can, you can go out literally and have answers to the questions that, that um, maybe have confused you, puzzled you. How we get answers to the question, what is our soul, is by seeing what God tells us about ourselves. The word soul is actually used in the Bible. But surprisingly, uh, the word soul wasn't first used talking about human beings in the Bible. In Genesis 1.22, it says that um, the animals were created as living beings. Literally the word nephesh there, soul. And then in Genesis 2.7, it says that Adam is formed from the dust, and he is also a living soul, but then something else happens. If you know the story, this is what happens. God breathes into Adam. So God, God doesn't just animate him and make him living like all these other living things, but then he creates in Adam a place where God alone dwells. And, and because of that, we, right, we call the image of God in, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says, so God led, let, said, let us make man and woman in our image, right? And so the image is that he meant for himself, God himself, to dwell in us. Not to be external from us, but to be in us. Not to make you gods. Don't worry, that'd be scary. He just meant you to be people who, wherever you go, whatever you do, to be a representation of his goodness and his greatness to all creation. In Psalm 8, the psalmist being amazed by everything he sees, and sometimes we can too, we wonder where our place is in the universe when we look and we're like, God, I feel so much in here, but I'm sitting here on it on a dark night and I see the stars and everything, I just feel insignificant. So where do I sit in relation to this? And the psalmist answering that question in Psalm 8 says this. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You've established a stronghold against your enemies. Listen, he says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place... What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you even consider us or care for us. Who am I? And then he answers the question. He says, you made them a little lower than the angels, crowning them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hand. You put everything under their feet, all flocks, herds, animals, birds, fish. Lord, how majestic is your name. So he says, when I see everything, I see how incredible it is that you have crowned us. You have crowned humanity with glory and honor. The way uh, the same psalmist, David, King David, describes it in Psalm 139, he says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. And and the last word, he just says, I know them full well. The word there is nephesh, which is soul. My soul knows it full well. 
I am incredibly made. I look at what's going on in me, and I see that you have made me fearfully and wonderfully. My soul cries that out. So what is the soul? Simply, what is the soul? The soul is the place that God has made for his spirit to dwell in you. Okay, not outside of you, not external to you, but the place that God made in you to dwell in you. The, um, a great way to think of it is um, as, like a, um, as the place his breath um, is in you and allows you sort of to breathe spiritually. Uh, there's this song that we sing, right? It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise, and that's meant to be the interaction that we have with God. God fills us, our, our lungs, our soul, with himself, and then we cry out to him from that. So, what happened? What knocked the air out of us? This is, is this powerful example you get from life. Um, if you've ever had the breath knocked out of you, um, don't try it. I, I, I literally, I remember the first time I had the breath knocked out of me. I was, and I don't remember how old I was. It's kind of like one of those faint recollections. All I remember is I was swinging on a swing. There was like gravel, like little rocks, you know. And I just remember falling off the swing and, and like, like wondering like, will somebody come and save me? You know, and like parents come, they're like, how are you? And you're just like, <gasps> right? It's like, it's terrifying. But that's, that's literally what happened is, is we were created souls, living beings, and God breathed his life, breathed his breath into us. And then something came along and literally knocked the breath out of us and made us confuse and wonder, what, what am I? Who am I? In Romans 1, is there, like, music playing somewhere? It's, it's very, um, very relaxing. <laughs> just the back row is going to fall asleep with that keep happening, so let's just turn that off. Okay, so, Romans 1, <laughs> Daryl's back there like, yeah, I'm making raps. Um, <laughs> it's my new jam. Okay, so Romans 1, verse 18, uh, describes for us what happens and how the breath of God got knocked out of us. Um, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so people are without excuse. So people are without excuse. What this is saying here is, God, who created us for himself, to be filled by him, it says he's made that plain to us. He's provided this testimony in us. Augustine, um, early church father, he said, God, you made us for yourself, and so our hearts aren't at rest until they rest in you. He's made that plain to us, not just a God, God in general out there, the God of Eckhart Tolle or these other people who are just saying, hey, the soul's your essence. It's the God who, who tells the complete story of how he created you, how he made you, and then how we walked away from him 
Like rejected him. And, and that's where we go to in Romans. It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds and animals and reptiles. So, so what happens? That means the, the throne God made in us for him and him alone to sit on, we've, we've just allowed other people to come in and other people to sit on that. It says we have exchanged his glory. And so because of that, become people who, instead of being filled and satisfied, were people who our existence can be described of as empty, right? Wondering, who am I? So, if that is your soul, if the soul is the place God made for himself to dwell in you, what happened? How do we... How do we return to a place where God is king in my life and filling me, and I'm living from that? How do I love God with all my soul? Well, um, <laughs> the example I've thought of with this was um, if, if you were uh, in school for any extended period of time, you probably found that there were answers in the back of the book. And, and so the teacher would always say, to show your homework, right? Because some of us, I'm not going to pick on you if you were this guy, right? you just copy the answer from the back. And that's what it's like when, when we, like these other people at the start, they just say an answer, the soul is the essence of the being, right? It's like, well, prove your work. What does that look like? What does that mean? How do we actually use it? And so that's what we're, we're going to do now, is we're going to prove our work, how you can be restored in relationship with God and live literally from your soul and love for him. How do you do that? The first thing is to acknowledge the emptiness of your soul. Acknowledge the emptiness of your soul. In, um, in Matthew 5, Jesus' first sermon, this is how he starts his entire ministry on earth. Check this out. He says, Happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The first sermon Jesus ever preached is saying, happy are you who know that your souls are empty. And you can say, what do you mean? How can you be happy knowing that your soul's empty? Because, because you're finally acknowledging it. You're finally admitting that, that you were made for God, but God no longer resides in you. Happy are the people who can do that. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus, again speaking to the people, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and tired, and I will give rest to your souls. So first acknowledge that our souls are in desperate need of God and for him to fill us, to animate us, to breathe life into us again. The second thing is to go to Jesus and know that he is the one. When he says, come to me, all you who are tired from life, and I will give rest to your souls. That we go to him and him alone for that. In John 4, Jesus meets a woman who has literally tried everything to find satisfaction in this life. She's even been married just like crazy amounts of times. And, 
Um, and Jesus is sitting down with her, and, and she comes across like really bold <laughs> and strong. And, and Jesus invites for her to, to take from him water that will satisfy, water that will spring up, he says, to eternal life. And she says, because they're sitting by a well, she goes, you're a crazy man. You don't have any bucket to draw from. And this is what he tells her. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst again. What he's saying there is, he goes, you can keep trying everything that you've tried before. Go ahead. But anyone who comes to me will finally find what they've looked for their whole life. They will find satisfaction for their souls. That's a bold claim. But, but if we understand that the soul is the place that God made for him and him alone to dwell in you, then this alone is the answer. Guys, I spent a lot of my life um, thinking, and honestly, I think it's some, a new thing God's doing in me too, to make me realize that it's not God outside of me. Um, like, as a Christian, okay? As a Christian, um, I'm not constantly, like, in relationship with a God who's outside of me, but it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's how it's described. Isn't this amazing? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means that, that literally what he's saying is you were made to be people that are animated and filled, inspired, <laughs> inspiration, the spirit in you, right, by himself. And so we have to acknowledge that. And the second thing is, after acknowledging that, to be willing to confess what has been in the way, what we have allowed to fill us instead of being filled by him. Because it's one thing to acknowledge it, right? It's one thing, and honestly, I've seen people like kind of brag about like, like the things that are still in the way of their relationship with God. It's like, well, I'm in, but I'm not that in, right? And, and yet getting to the place where we are willing with everything in us to respond to God. In, in Matthew 16, uh, if you could turn here with me, this is a, an incredibly important verse informing us about the Spirit. Oh, sorry, not Matthew 20, Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Jesus says this, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Listen, it says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for the soul? See, because we think, God, you're asking me to give it all up. You're saying the only way to, to live is to lose the life I have known, the life I have built, and, and come and give my life fully to you. And he goes, yes. That is it because, because he goes, because what have you exchanged for your soul? 
What have you given in the place already that you do need to lose? And, and by losing that, finally, you can have life. Finally, you can have inspiration in you again. It won't be you constantly chasing the God that seems so far away. But know that it's Christ in you, inspiring you, pouring out his love on you, showing you your purpose and meaning and why he created you. And that's where we come to the third step. So you're acknowledging you're acknowledging our, your poverty, your brokenness of soul. Um, you're confessing what has, has come in the way of you and God, what else you've allowed to fill you, be the most important thing to you. And then, and then the third thing is this, um, learning to abide in him, letting him fill you completely. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 17. In John 17, before Jesus um, approaches the cross to, to, to lay down his life on it, he, he describes to you the, the whole reason why he came. And we get to kind of overhear his prayer to the Father. And this is what he says. John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. And so you could say, well, what does it mean to know God? And, and let's look from those first verses to the end of the prayer, starting in verse 22, John 17, 22. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that, you may be brought to, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Guys, this, th- there's no better description for the soul ever than this. He says, what does it mean for his glory to be given to us? He says, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. That is what it means to love God with your whole soul. That Jesus is is fully in you, right? Just as he is in the Father, that there is complete unity in that. And, and guys, I think for a lot of us, we read this and we're like, that sounds way too good to be true. Because the way we live out our Christianity, really, is we constantly see God as outside of ourselves. God, we have to please. And God's going, no, I, am, I offered my son to, to clean out your soul, Right? To give you forgiveness for all the things you've cluttered your life with so I can fill you again. So the question is, how do we, how do we see one another in that way and see ourselves in that way? Like when you see someone who is not walking with God, are you seeing them as someone who you're just like passionate about seeing them come to know that everything that's cluttering their life and, and making it so they can't see and experience the goodness of God, that can be forgiven. And they can have God himself, himself dwell in them. And I think what keeps us from that is because, honestly, if I were to ask you, can you sense the Spirit of God in you? 
speaking from you to other people, reminding you of his words. I think a lot of us would be like, no, I still see God as very much outside of me. Guys, the, the good news of the gospel is that, that God has come to save your soul. Your soul. That's what it says in 1 Peter. Literally, he says, he says um, although we have not seen him, we love him, and we are filled with this joy inexpressible. So how do we help one another in this way? How do we help one another in a world that has got the wind knocked out of it? Um, have you ever ridden in a plane before and they're doing like the, the uh, you know, emergency stuff beforehand before they take off? The stuff you don't pay attention to, you know, because you're too busy like trying to figure out how to put your phone in airplane mode? Well, while you're doing that, what they're doing is... <laughs> They're showing you what to do if the plane loses oxygen, it loses cabin pressure, right? And, and so they have this thing fall out of the, right? And then, and then they say what? They say, make sure you get your mask fashioned on, fastened on yourself before you try to put the mask on someone else. Um, that's how we need to, to learn to help one another is, I think, some of you guys, because you know that Jesus has called you not just for yourself, but to invite other people to see him and know his goodness. But some of us are trying to do that, even though we don't even know how to discern the spirit of God in us. Um, how to be still and know that he is God. And so what I will encourage you guys to do um, is just Stop. And, and know that, that God wants to speak, not from outside of you, but from within you. And, and honestly, the, if I heard myself preaching this sermon a long time ago, I'd been like, what is he talking about? And I honestly don't fully know what I'm talking about. Because I, I don't know what it fully means to, to have just Christ within me, the hope of glory. Not God outside of me, but God who, who has made my home his dwelling place. In 1 Corinthians 6.19 it says, Don't you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? He didn't make you a temple of the Holy Spirit to just dwell outside of you. He made you a temple of the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. And to bring hope to the world through you, through his people. So how are you in your, in your times of prayer? Learning to hear what he's saying in you. When you're speaking to someone else, you're not just coming up with intellectual things to like try to convince other people that God is real. You're trying to hear what God's communicating to them from you. Like The only salt a preacher is worth is what he can communicate from, from God to you. And that's just not the role of the preacher. That's your role, one another. We, we were talking... Um, right in, in Colossians where it says, so let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And the reason why we don't do that is because we see God as outside of ourselves. We don't see God as inside of ourselves, loving us, speaking through us. Um, in 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18, it says, though outwardly we are wasting away, though inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And I pray that that can be your experience and the experience of this church. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose um, 
a way to explain yourself to one another when you're asked how you're doing. So oftentimes when you're asked how you're doing, you're like, how's your day? And you're like, I don't even know how to begin describing that to you. And really the reason why we do that is because we don't know how to speak from the soul, right? <laughs> like, well, I don't know what's going on with me, right? And, and I, I think, uh, as I thought about it, it was like, it's like the best description would be, man, I feel like the wind got knocked out of me. <laughs> if if you, you're not living from the spirit of God in you. Um, if you are, if you're discerning his voice and living from that, the hope of glory that God has placed in you. Um, man, I'm, I'm breathing in the spirit of God. That's what we sing, right? It's my, your breath in my lungs, so I pour out my praise to you. And guys, I just want to invite you into that, into that experience. Um, I want nothing more for you. Um, literally, I, when I spoke at the conference this last Monday, I'll wrap up with this. Um, it was a conference with all these different academics from schools all over the nation, right? I mean, these top-line divinity schools. And... <laughs> And one of the questions was, what is your desire as a pastor? And I said, this is my desire as a pastor. My greatest desire as a pastor is that I will help people, by the grace of God, discern the spirit of God that is in them. And to invite people who don't know God to, to ask to confess the, what they've replaced him with. To confess that, receive forgiveness, and be filled by his spirit. And live from that power in that life. Guys, if you're not living from that power in that life, um, you won't be alive fully. You can't get away with just trying to love as hard as you can, or think as correctly as you can, or serve as strongly as you can. Right? Um, it really has to be done from God himself dwelling in you. Um, that is how you love God with all your soul. Let him in and let him love through you. Right. That's what Jesus prayed for. I and them, you and me. Uh, let's pray together and I encourage you guys just as we sing, as we worship, as you go from here, be people who desire, hunger for God expressed through you. God, I think one of the amazing things is as we leave this place, we're still people with a couple hands, a couple feet, <laughs> walking around, looking the same as we came in. But it's amazing that the way you made us from the very beginning was to be people that show your goodness and your greatness to the whole world by being filled by you, letting you speak. God, we want to be fully alive. In a week from now, in two weeks from now, months from now, years from now, we don't want to look back and again be asking the question, what am I here for? God, I pray that you will let this conviction rest upon the people here. They were made by you. They were made in your image meant to be filled by you, to never be alone, to never feel unloved, 
we've lived so much, I think, seeing you as outsider, far away, and heal us from that misunderstanding, please. May the word, your word, dwell among us richly. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.